Welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Life Podcast. You are listening to episode 89, The Dyslexic Sisters. And this episode is in honor of October's Dyslexia Awareness Month. I'm your host, Nicole Holcomb, a mom just like you, raising a bright daughter with dyslexia. I look forward to sharing what I'm learning on my dyslexia journey with you. And remember, moms, you are not alone. You got this. When you first heard the word dyslexia, did it sound strange to you? I mean, someone said just the other day, you know, it's ironic that dyslexia is such a different and difficult word to spell when the same time, often people struggle with spelling who are dyslexic. And I have to agree with that person. <laughs> you know, they're right on. And, you know, just spot on there. And, you know, what's interesting is many times when people hear the word dyslexia, if they're not familiar with it, may even think of it as being some type of disease or something of that nature. So the word dyslexia probably is not the most user-friendly, right? But we know it's a language-based disability or difference, depending on how you look at things. As you have gotten in and learned more about the, the community of dyslexia, you may have heard people use the terms like co-occurrence or comorbidity. What they're really talking about is what I like to call the dyslexic sisters. Yeah, who knew that dyslexia has some sisters and some have just one and some have many. They can actually be quite disruptive if left by themselves with little to no attention. And once your child has been identified with dyslexia, you may feel a sense of relief that now you know and you can make a plan as to how to best help your child. But you may not be expecting that dyslexia has some sister diagnoses too. I know we didn't. So let me break it down for you. When people say coexist, what they mean is to have something that occurs at the same time or in the same place. So if they say that, you know, you have dyslexia, but they also have ADHD. It kind of coexists together. Or someone may say it's a co-occurrence or co-occurs, which is to occur simultaneous. You could be dyslexic and dysgraphic, for example. And some people like to use the term comorbidity. And that is really relating more to the medical condition, medical condition that occurs with one another. So, you know, one of my daughter's second grade teachers, Miss Brabs, she was amazing and the best and still is. She shared with us when we experienced this dyslexic sister trying to get in the front seat of our remediation, she described it like this. She said that these co-occurrences, they're like peeling an onion. There are so many layers to our amazing dyslexic kiddos and so many layers to their brain. I thought to myself, yeah, saying that we're peeling an onion is pretty accurate because it stings your eyes and your senses each time you peel back a layer. So I'm going to share about the dyslexic sisters so you don't get caught off guard peeling back that onion for your own child. So I'm going to share a few examples of what I considered dyslexic sisters in this episode. So again, you'll know what to watch for. You want to address any learning difference that is impacting your child's everyday life. So, for example, for us, early on, it was speech. It was, you know, articulation. And for many years, we had to work on this. 
with her because, you know, if, if she couldn't, couldn't communicate enough to be remediated and part of her remediation of dyslexia was being able to practice those sounds and being able to read those words back to her tutor. If she wasn't able to articulate and get those words and those sounds out where someone could understand her, we were not going to make any progress and she wasn't going to make any progress in her remediation. So we had to tackle that first. So some may say, you know what, that sister had to be in the front seat for a minute while we got that manageable and then she moved to the back seat and then dyslexia got to move to the front seat, right? So, you know, you may hear different people reference it different ways. I like to say the dyslexic sisters because it's just not, you know, I don't know, just maybe not medical, but just not... I don't know. When you say comorbidity, it sounds like, you know, I don't know. It sounds like it's just, um, I don't know, just very negative sounding to me. I guess is the best way to say that. So I'm going to share with you a few today. The first one I want to share with you is what's called dysgraphia. And don't worry, you don't have to take notes for this episode. I'm going to have all this information for you in the show notes, also with links to resources for each one that I'm going to share with you today. So if something sounds, you know, hmm, that might be something, then you will have links to go back and do some additional, you know, research and read those articles to see, you know, is this something that you should be concerned about right now? And if so, then obviously you're going to want to reach out to the people that are make up your, your child's tribe, your child's uh, community, and, you know, make sure that everything's being addressed. And so that might be you know, working with your pediatrician, it might be working with your child's psychologist, it might be working with the teachers at the school, you know, whoever that is, whomever that is, you know, who makes up your team. So the first one is dysgraphia. So dysgraphia is a specific learning disability that will affect how easily children acquire written language and how well they use written language to express their thoughts. And the reason for the difficulty is that your child is processing the working memory along with the handwriting. A great resource for this is the International Dyslexia Association. They are the ones that captured the definition that I just read to you, which is really that written that written expression, being able to get that out on paper. So if your child struggles to, you know, write that complete paragraph and it's, you know, it's it's the process of figuring it out and then writing it down and there's so many steps, there's Many things that go along with dysgraphia, but that kind of gives you a snapshot of what that might look like. We see this at our home, you know, when our daughter has to write responses down by hand for her handwriting, you know, a written homework instead of on the computer. It takes, you know, a little bit longer for her because she has to process what she wants to say and then physically write it out. So we've actually found a few really neat pencils that have helped along the way because the way they're shaped or their textures, and you can find those under the dyslexia resources on our page. I'll put a link in the show notes for that too. The second one that many moms I work with have this have this sister, and sometimes she's in the front seat, is ADHD or Attention Deficit Hyper, Hyperactivity Disorder. Most of us just call it ADHD. And that's when you see that inattentiveness, the hyperactivity. It could be also combined with that inattentive and hyperactive together. Some, you know, some people treat ADHD with medications, others don't. And, you know, it can really make it, it difficult for a child to concentrate and stay focused on a task 
it, you know, many times during school, it's really a struggle. And by the time they get home, they're exhausted. And it's even more of a struggle to keep that attention and be able to concentrate on a specific task at hand. Another one that you'll hear, again, with an interesting name, is dys- dyscalculia. And that is a child's challenge with math. And just like the other dyslexic sisters, especially the ones like dyslexia, this has been found that this particular uh, dyscalculia, it actually runs in families. And it all also goes along with dyslexia about how the brain is structured and how the brain functions. So you may be wondering, you know, what are some signs for that? Uh, because, you know, maybe your child struggles with math or maybe they don't. But where, when is the challenge so much so that you need interventions? So understood.org has some really great resources that I'll link for this particular topic. But it's things like grasping the meaning of quantities or concepts, like what is the biggest versus the smallest. Maybe they have trouble remembering their, you know, their times tables, their multiplication facts, counting money or making change. Really understand the logic behind math. You know, are they able to hold numbers in their head while they solve problems? That can be a real struggle for them. I want to pause for a second and ask you, are you enjoying this podcast, this particular episode, or do you have some episodes that you are just finding resonates with you as a parent raising a child with dyslexia? You may be wondering, how can I support this podcast? Well, you actually can buy me a virtual cup of coffee. I would love to meet in person, but sometimes that's just not possible. So if you would like to buy me a virtual cup of coffee, I would so much appreciate it. And I have a link in the description if you would like to do that and on the website, dyslexiamomlife.com. You may be also asking yourself, I know Nicole works full time. She runs a podcast. She has a daughter. She's a, you know, she has a husband and she has a family and just all the things. And how in the world do I stay organized and get things done? Well, I'm going to let you in on my secret. It's called the Full Focus Planner, and it's by Michael Hyatt. And he spends his career talking about productivity and offering ways for us to be organized and more productive. So I get a new planner every quarter. I love it. I get it in the mail every couple of months, and I get a fresh start every quarter. And I love the fact that he makes it manageable every day. There's just three tasks I put down as my priority for the day. Do I get more done? Yeah, most of the time. But if I don't, you know what? I give myself permission for it to be okay. So today, my priority, obviously, on my list was to record my podcast. And so I've sat down and did what they call batching. And I'm recording several podcasts at once. I was able to do that because I'm keeping myself organized with my daily planner. And the cool thing is, they even have student planners for your children who are older who may want a physical planner. So... If you are interested, you can go to either the the episode description or the show notes to get a link to try out the Full Focus Planner. And you know what? Just for my listeners, Michael Hyatt is giving you $10 off your order if you order before December 20th. So, what are you waiting for? What a great way to treat yourself and get ready for, can you believe it, 2022? Oh my goodness. All right, let's get back to talking about those dyslexic sisters. And the fourth one is one that I think many of us see, and that is stress and anxiety. So let me tell you a little bit about what does it mean to have stress? 
Stress is really our body and our brain's reaction to situations that the brain thinks could cause us harm. Your child will regularly be confronted with tasks that are extremely difficult, and at least she may, you know, even perceive tasks to be difficult. And our body oftentimes responds to what they consider bad stress as a fight or flight. We do this automatically to protect ourselves. Now for anxiety, anxiety is often described as a state of worry. We're worried about what might happen. Where stress is a reaction to what is. So something has happened and the reaction is stress. Our body stress to protect itself. Anxiety is worried I'm going to be called on in class to read. That is causing me great anxiety about what might happen. But let's say you do read and people laugh. Well, then your body may react in a stressful way, a way to protect you. And so some students may, you know, react in very different ways because of the stress. Again, I've got another great resource there for you as well in the show notes. The fifth one is what they call auditory processing disorder, or you may see some people just say APD. These are problems in how your brain actually understands speech. And understand.org has some great resources here as well. Here are some common signs of auditory processing disorder that understanding.org has provided. One of the things is they say that many times a, a student may have trouble following spoken directions, you know, especially those multi-step ones. Often asking people to repeat themselves or say, huh, what? Maybe even trouble following a conversation, especially if there are multiple speakers or lots of background noise. Your child may be easily distracted by that background noise or even sudden loud noises. Maybe your child has trouble remembering details or things that are read out loud or spoken. And maybe they have trouble with reading or spelling, which requires that processing sounds. And sometimes you'll see that it takes longer for them to respond when someone speaks to them. And maybe they just have trouble knowing where these speech, you know, these sounds, where are they coming from? Trying to get that in conversation. So people with APD, you know, they really do have a hard time with conversation sometimes. They're often slow to respond to what others say. And if they don't understand, they may respond in ways that just don't make sense. So some of those pieces I just shared with you are also, uh, you know, symptoms or things that happen when a child is dyslexic as far as just processing disorder. But if you're interested in learning more about auditory processing disorder, then absolutely check out the link in our, in our website at our, at our show notes. And if you want more information, I know there are a couple moms in our Dyslexia Mom Life podcast community Facebook group who I'm sure would be more than happy to answer any questions that you have for that. Number six, sensory processing disorder. This is trouble managing information that comes in through your senses. And there are really two different sensory processing challenges. And sometimes a child has a mixture of both. One is to be overly sensitive or hypersensitive. This leads to sensory avoiding. Kids avoid these sensory inputs because it's just too overwhelming. And the other is just the opposite of that, undersensitivity. This causes the child to be sensory-seeking. They look for more sensory stimulation in their environment. 
So sensory overload can lead to sensory meltdowns. And now these are different than just, you know, your child's having a tantrum because they're just out of control. Your child is reacting to their environment. And so here are some signs to look for. Is your child easily overwhelmed by people and places? Do they seek out a quiet spot, especially in these noisy, crowded environments? Is your child easily startled by sudden noises? What about bothered by bright lights? I love this one. Maybe they refuse to wear itchy or otherwise uncomfortable clothing. I, I, I hear about that often. And maybe they avoid people touching them or hugging them. And perhaps they have a strong reaction to textures or smells of certain foods. Well, what about the opposite of that? What about sensory seeking? Kids who are undersensitive to sensory input, they, they really are in that opposite, like I was just saying. They often need, they have a need for that movement. They seek out input. Here are some signs that you may see for kids, depending on different ages. Maybe they're constantly touching an object. Maybe they play roughly or take physical risk. Maybe they have even a high tolerance for pain, or they squirm a lot or fidget a lot. They're constantly on the move. You may see that with ADHD too, though, right? So there's some overlap here as well. Maybe they also invade other people's personal space. Maybe they often get distracted or feel anxious. They're clumsy, uncoordinated. I know this happens at our house, which is a refusal to try new food and has a very limited diet of preferred foods. They get upset about small changes in routine or environment and avoids trying new things. So if you want to learn more about this, you can go to the show notes where I have an article for you at understood.org. And let me tell you, the the links I'm going to give you for understood.org, they'll always have related articles to the side that lets you dive in and get more and more information. And like I said earlier, if you find any of these things resonating with you, please go back to your team, to your your medical experts, your psychologists, whomever you're working with, if you're seeing some signs that are causing a disruption in your child's learning and functioning throughout the day. And dyslexic sister number seven, wow, she has a car full of sisters today, which is executive functioning deficits. And we definitely struggle with this at our house. So does your child struggle with school, maybe homework? What about trouble staying on task? Are they disorganized? What about problems with time management? Maybe they're forgetful. Maybe they seem overwhelmed or avoidant. Maybe they're just resistant. Well, they could struggle with executive function. Seth Perler, he's an executive functioning coach, defines it in a really simple term. He says executive function means the ability to get stuff done. Homework, writing a paper, cleaning your room. It is, in other words, trouble executing complex tasks through to completion. These are just some of the dyslexic sisters. You will want to have a tribe or a team around you and your child to support all of these possible co-occurrences that you may experience. To learn more about these different learning differences in this episode, I will have links to resources in the show notes like I've mentioned before at dyslexiamomlife.com backslash episode 89. If you are enjoying the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts so that other moms can find our podcast and the resources. 
And you know what? The biggest compliment you could give us is share your favorite episode on social and tag us at Dyslexia Mom Life. And remember, you got this.